Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Gus, the first meal I had outside my own home following the quarantine was at your house. Brought over a bunch of meat. I brought over my Alpine Touch, but I didn't bring it home. I forgot it at your place. Our first meal was made better, as every meal is made better by Alpine Touch on basically everything. I put Alpine Touch hickory smoke on my cereal in the morning. <laughs> It's, it's reached that level of usage. And the fact that you left it, I knew that you left it at my house. You brought it over, left it at my house. And like a real jerk, I said nothing to you because I was like, well, that's mine, dude. That's it. You came to my house. You left it in my house. And I'm eating all of it. We've gotten so far into this Alpine Touch obsession, I think, that I just think we might be able to host a podcast about all the things that you can make with Alpine Touch. It would be short. Everything. (laughs) They have a bunch of different varieties of spices, as we know. Uh, They are local from the state of Montana. Shoto, shout out, original Alpine Touch. And it's great when it's not just local, when it's not just supporting the state of Montana, but when it's also actually the best thing that you can get. I mean, when it comes to spices, uh, it's second to none. So, boys and girls, use your Alpine Touch. Colter, tell them where they can get it. AlpineTouch.com, no matter where you're at in the entire world listening to this, if you are in the United States of America and you make an order of over $50, which, you know, if you get yourself the Grand Slam and maybe some barbecue sauce, some sunflower seeds, you're there. Free shipping anywhere in the United States of America right now. Uh, so go to AlpineTouch.com. They're rolling out all their summer Big Mountain flavor packages. The sunflower shoots are really, really good as well. Alpine Touch has got you covered. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. Hello, Montana. Finally, somebody who knows something about the offensive line. No, not you, Colter. Not you. We also uh, are going to have uh, state champion football player who's headed to the Grizzlies as part of our 
Senior Spotlight Asher Croy. Hey, how are you, boys and girls? It's Tutel Nuanas 1029 ESPN Radio. Outstanding to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. Hope you are having a wonderful day. We appreciate you letting us be along with you wherever you are on your radios, across the state on SWX Television. Hi, how are you? And around the world on the World Wide Web. That's why they start with the first W. 1029ESPN.com, that's where you go. You can listen live all the time on the stream, on your favorite device, phone, computer, etc. The stream is there thanks to Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. If you want to pick up your phone and call, you can do that as well. 361-3688, 361-3688. All guests join us via the Rangage Brothers R. The phone line. Let's take a look at what we have in the show today. Excited about the show today. Right off the bat, we start with a bang, which is sort of depressing because it all goes downhill from here. But we have Chad Germer, the offensive line coach of the University of Montana, in studio with us. We will get to him here in just a minute or two. We also are going to play a little bl- bit of blindside. I got some questions that I know Coulter is going to love. We're going to talk about Eastern Washington and some of their financial troubles and Lynn Hickey, the athletic director over there. Uh, some of, of the tweets that she sent out which we, we gave a cursory look at. We'll look at it in a little bit more depth. And two schools so far in the uh, Big Sky Conference now have eliminated men's and women's tennis. Uh, and so we'll kind of take a look at the, the financial hit that is happening in general as a result of all that has uh, befallen well, the world at large and, and how it applies to athletics in the Big Sky. So we will get to that. Top of the hour, excited to have Asher Croy as our senior spotlight. Asher, uh, graduate of Bozeman High School, uh, formerly of Huntley Project, went over to Bozeman High School. And Colter, you and I were at the state championship game sideline where he ran for hello cha-ching 333 333 yards uh in the state championship of bozeman victory and uh, was was pretty unstoppable not only because of asher though let's shout out the o-line right, getting that's, it done that's right, right. They actually yeah, bozeman so. had a great offensive line this year they too. did talk about going out with a bang i mean man you go 333 yards and three touchdowns on the road in the state championship at naranchi stadium in butte you know what you got you got bragging rights for a really long time 333 yards is like three of my drives put together <laughs> That is. Uh, so there you go. That's the show today. Uh, we're excited to have all of you along with us. But now, right off the bat, we're happy to have the offensive line coach of the University of Montana entering his sixth season of his third tenure as the offensive line coach with the Grizzlies. 23rd year in coaching overall. And, uh, yes, former Grizz player himself, Chad German. Chad, thanks so much for being here, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for uh, having me on. And, and thanks for doing the math there on my uh I was trying to put the numbers together driving out here. Is it 20 yeah. or 21? But 23 years. 23 okay. according Thanks. according to the <laughs> website. That, yeah. Actually, the website says 22, but it put yeah. it in 2019. So I'm counting this year. You're headed into the 23 overall. Sounds Does that right. sound yeah, right? That's about right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just pull that thing over okay. to you a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Better? I think, I think uh, let's, let's talk about that because we, most former, most coaches are former players. But most former players are not coaches, if that makes sense. Like most guys that play go on and are, end up doing other stuff. If you take, you know, 90 guys on a football mm-hmm. team, handful of them might go into coaching. What was it for you when you started coaching in 1998 back with the Grizz? You know, you'd been done with the University of Montana for a little while before you came on as the offensive line coach. You've only been an offensive line coach, Wyoming, UNLV, Montana. What was it that said, okay, this is what I want to do, and that you've can't continue doing it now for over two decades. Yeah, I, I did have an interesting uh, uh, start to the profession. I I, uh, I got done playing '91, mm-hmm. and I tried to play professionally for a couple of years, and was getting close, but With not the Bengals uh, and yeah, yeah, a few yeah. places, and mm-hmm. 
and uh, you don't make a lot of money just trying to play in the league. So he's, I was oh, yeah, that he's is the truth. <laughs> I could testify. I didn't make a cent trying yeah, to play in the so, league. Uh, yeah. So I, so for a, a couple of years there, I tried that, and, and I I actually coached uh, basically as a volunteer in '94, and because uh, I w- was done playing, and. Uh, Went and talked to Don Reed, and he said, "Gave me a hat and said, sure, come on out.'" And I coached. <laughs> and I was I was about as simple as that. And then uh, uh, again, needed to. Uh, I, I graduated with a degree in marketing or in business with an emphasis in marketing from the university. And uh, I call them my civilian years. I, I was actually in, in media for a while. I was in a. It was in. Uh, I was account representative for uh, KPAX. Okay. And so I yeah. sold advertising for yeah. however many years that gets me to. Uh, to 90, would you say 98? Yep. So I did God that. God bless you. I, I did Man, that. I knew we were kindred souls commiserating. They make us do, hard, make us do that around yeah. here, yeah. too. Yeah. It's a big yeah. point yeah. of contention. Yeah. I, was, uh, <laughs> I was part of the crew, yeah. I drove around, and, and uh, it was really, it was an uh, excellent, or a great time in my life. I First time I really held a job like that and learned a lot as far as being organized, and you really do have to set your own schedule and do your thing, and it was a good, great, great experience for me, and, I, and then... Uh, my wife uh, graduated from the, the pharmacy school in Montana and was uh, was working at Costco, and we were kind of like on the path to just kind of doing the thing, do that thing. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I got a crazy idea one night to, you know, I really missed that coaching, and you know, I got back in, and Mick Denny hired me in '98, I guess, right? And uh, yep. And that was that, and kind of basically started ground zero again. My wife basically flipped a bill for. My coaching addiction for a while, and <laughs> got into you know, didn't didn't make any money, and did a you know d- did that thing for a while, and then eventually got a, a full time gig and moved on from there. Awesome. So yeah, a little interesting. Yeah, it wasn't a direct uh, you know transition from you know from uh, the helmet to the whistle. I had a little little window in there where I did some other stuff. That's right. Well, it's really interesting when you think about the timeline because. Very few guys get to be at their alma mater for as long as you've been able to be here at Montana, but then also to be, to return multiple yeah. times. But then you start to think about, I didn't know you were a grad assistant for Don Reed. I know you'd worked for Mick Dennehy, yep. but you worked for Don Reed, Mick Dennehy, Joe Glenn, Bobby Houck at Montana and then at UNLV mm-hmm. with on the staff with Mick Delaney when he was here in 2009 before then he went on to take over. You'd didn't work for Flugrad, right? So that's the no. Only we're, uh, he was a, a coach when I was a player. Right. And I actually worked with him. Right, we were, he was we were, an assistant we were both here, right? on uh, on uh, Bobby staff in 2009, I guess, right? Right. And uh, yeah, so I you know. so basically, you coached alongside either as assistants or underneath every Grizz coach from Don Reed all the way through Bob Stitt to back around to Bobby Howe. Yep. So nice. you have a better perspective than literally anybody. Well, I, don't, these guys. I don't know about that. <laughs> I've been around for sure. Okay, what's the worst thing each of them <laughs> ever said? You know, what's here. I don't know if you could actually find a, a worse thing that uh, Coach Reed ever said. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be searching a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chad Germer in with us, the uh, offensive line coach at the University of Montana. Going back to getting into coaching, you said, you know, I, I kind of – I would like to try that. You'd been the GA, but, like, would, you know, do it for real. But then, I mean, you, you've been around the game long enough. You kind of – you know the deal. But when you're actually there doing it, was there a point in time where you said, I don't know. I don't know if this is really for me. Like, or, or was it just always like, you know what? This, this is right. Like, this, I, I love football. I know football, and and this suits me. This is what I should be doing. Uh, when I got back into it, uh, the, with uh, with Mick, uh, with uh, uh, Coach uh, Dennehy, 
I was motivated. I, I knew that I, I was moving down the road. I didn't have the time to kind of just let things play out and mm. see what kind of coach. I mean, I really tried to become a professional coach and get to a position where uh, where I could uh, make a living at it and and uh, and move on. So I was a little motivated to you know try and be a be an asset to the to the team and try and go dig up information, go do things to kind of set myself apart. So I uh, I, I kind of felt like I had a I was kind of had a fire underneath me when I when I got back yeah. into it. Yeah, we were talking about offensive linemen in Montana. We'll get into that element because I think it is fascinating, especially when we talk about like the 2001 team. I think every single starter on the team was from Montana. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that element, I got to ask you because you spent half your career basically at Montana and the other half in the FBS, two different stints, Wyoming and mm-hmm. UNLV. What are the biggest differences that you noticed when you did you know move up a, a level and but you're still coaching in sort of regional areas, but what are the biggest differences to between like the Big Sky and the Mountain West? Uh, n- not huge. Uh, obviously, you got more players to work with. Your your scholarship numbers, the the big, uh, the, the the big noticeable difference. Um, venues, level competition goes up. I mean, we were uh, uh, the programs I was part of with Joe Glenn and Bobby Hauk. I mean, we were we did the same stuff when we got there and had some success and had some. You know, years that weren't as good, but the the successful ones that we had, we were doing things the same way. Um, I, you know, right now there's a lot of great coaches in uh, in the Big Sky Conference. I think the advancements and being able to scout people based on what video is available, I, there's really really good coaches in our conference, and you can get schemed. You can scheme somebody. You can have somebody turn around and scheme you. I mean, that's, it's uh, it's. Uh, you get a couple of good coaches and, and, a, and a talented crew, you can do some damage. Well, that said, then you, when you compare the actual just talent that you had, though, I mean, you probably admit that a lot of the best offensive linemen you've coached over the last 20 years have been guys in Montana from Montana, right? Without a doubt. I mean, I, one thing that's unique about this state, although the, the, it has, there has not been as many uh, offensive linemen, but back in the day, you could really count on the, the state itself producing for that position. I mean, look, look at the picture here. Yeah, right? yeah I know. I got the 2001 yep. offensive line right here. Dylan McFarlane from Kalispell, Thatcher Slay from Whitefish, Brian Pelk from Helena, Derek mm-hmm. Decker from Ballantine, John Skinner from Dillon. Every single one of those guys, a small-town Montana guy. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you got three NFL guys in the picture. Not yeah. Kalispell. Kalispell's huge. <laughs> Compared to the other <laughs> yeah, I mean, places, come on. right. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, and we're always going to try and uh, uh, we'll have uh, possibly two this coming season mm-hmm. from in-state starting, and and we're gonna always do everything we can to to find those guys. You know, all all those guys. Looking at that picture right there, were multi-sport guys that played mm-hmm. basketball. Thatcher was a tennis player. You know, the rest of them were all basketball, and, and, and almost all of them track as well. That's not as common today as uh, as I think it was then. We would we would go find big basketball players mm-hmm. and. And, and build our numbers up where we could we could put them uh, you know down in the dungeon for a little while and grow them up where uh, um, there hasn't been that as many as of late I hope hope that'll change we're, we won't, we're just gone through a period of them but uh, we're looking for them believe me we're looking for them I'm I'm interested in in an aside to that but related football has evolved as much as any sport. I mean, 40 years doesn't even look like the same game mm-hmm. as it is today in a lot of ways. Some of it unbelievable. Some of it, you know, I don't know. It's just so different. 
especially like the last 10 years, the advent of the RPO offensively, the acceleration of the offense, how has that changed offensive line play and what you're looking for in offensive linemen or as it? As far as, you know, I know it's Coach Hawk's philosophy. It was Coach uh, Glenn's philosophy. We were always going to try and find athletic guys, mm. number one, try and grow them up. So we, even now, today, I mean, I, we, we might have been ahead of the curve mm-hmm. at one time in Montana where we were looking for what is today's offensive lineman before anybody mm-hmm. else was. We were looking for tall, rangy guys, and we put the weight on And we were playing against other offensive lines where they were probably, you know, Thicker, bigger, and, right out of the right out of the yeah. gate, and maybe not as tall. And so we might have been a little bit ahead. That's why we maybe, you know, led to a lot of success uh, at Montana. Is we were going after guys that maybe other people didn't fit their fit their mold. Well, you found Moses Mallory, and that worked out okay too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he might not yeah. be the rangy guy, but yeah. my goodness, that I love watching Moses Mallory play some <laughs> yeah. football now. Yeah. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, we evaluate your current state infrastructure and deploy the right technology solution for your future. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com business to learn more. It is interesting though because I've been thinking about this for a while. There is just less off defensive division one caliber offensive linemen that come out of Montana, and I, I don't know what the the. I mean, I think there's a lot of different factors. Mm-hmm. W- what do you think are the factors? It may be what the uh, the the uh, the general perception of what they need to be right sure. off the bat is changing. Mm-hmm. Maybe they need maybe the the thought that you need to get more broader sized guys, you know, right out of the gate. Um, we're still looking for the we're still looking for the, the tall range guy. Now we you know I, I become maybe a little less uh, uh, our centers can be a little sure. thicker and they're gonna you know just to leverage issues. I think a taller center can sometimes be detrimental. You need to be able to stay low and stay down. They can be a little bit uh, high centered maybe um, if you're too tall at that position. But we're still gonna look for tall rangey tackles. Our tackles are always gonna be long athletic guys. And but I do think you need to have you need to have some girth. Up the middle, and you really do, and you, and uh, and our guys. I'm, I may be jumping ahead here, but guys like uh, Moses and and Cordell Pillins and and uh, and uh, Tyler Ganung, for that matter, guys that really did a great job this winter, and we're having an amazing spring now. You know, we're you know we got to keep them rolling through this this window that we're in right now. But I mean, I'm excited about the guys are we have right now because Cordell and and Mo are completely different guys than they were last fall. So. And I, I kind of jumped way ahead on you there. No, but, but I, I love but, that. But th- we got they're big guys that can uh, that are in shape now. To be honest with you, right? And can, uh, can 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 keep rolling. Oh, and that's that's always been one of the most uh, fun parts about Montana football to to follow is you do get the guys like I remember you know Stephen Failer's my high school class and Failer was a a skinny basketball player receiver, and then I didn't see him uh, the whole year we lived in the dorms, and then I see him the next fall. And the dude's like 255. And I said, what have you been doing, man? He said, I've been eating and lifting. That's it. <laughs> That's all I've been doing. But you guys were doing that with uh, maybe not top-notch facilities. Now you have a top-notch yeah. facility in the Champions Center. So how much does that help when it when it comes to a developmental position like yours? Oh, it's uh, – yeah, that's where they're going to live. And <laughs> right. to go back and wait – and that, that, the, to my point, the multi-sport guy, I'm going to uh, go back there a step, but 
uh, you take a guy like Steve, like like failure. like failure that was uh, doing basketball and track, and then you you remove that. Right. Just removing that for one is going to start. You're going to start. Uh, your body's going to start changing a little bit, and you 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 add and then replace that with with weight room and basically cafeteria, and, you know, <laughs> and, and also your metabolism changes at that age, and and guys become different different guys. So and that's one thing that I do think there may be a, maybe not as many. Uh, multi-sport totally. type linemen, right? There, there, you know, there's some really good ones out there. They're playing only football. There's not as many, and there's some big kids, to be honest with you, that aren't that aren't playing football that, that uh, are out there on the basketball floor that uh, you try and. Uh, I know their coaches, you know, they're 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 getting them in the hallway and trying to get them to to see it, but. The answer is though, play multiple sports, right? I mean, I think a yeah, lot of parents think their kids need to specialize to go Division One, but in reality, it's the opposite, right? Especially in football, I right. got more, way more so in that sport. Right. You're going to find like most uh, most of the guys that play on Sunday, we're, we're multi-sport guys. Maybe not as much as in the other two sports, but definitely in football, those guys are well-rounded athletes almost across the board. I think I saw a statistic, actually, that I think 78% of offensive linemen in the NFL played at least one other sport in, in high school. Yeah, well, you think that, you know, some of the defensive ends might have been able to, you know, go ahead and play basketball, too? Probably so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's Tutel Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Chad Germer in with us, offensive line coach at the University of Montana. Uh, we talked about a lot about the size, and that's the thing that everybody kind of gravitates towards when it comes to the offensive line for obvious reasons. But when it comes to the, the playing of the position, and there's a variety of positions the offensive line, but what, what do you use the most important thing, if there is a most important thing, about being a good offensive lineman as, as a player? I think there's really no substitute for, for reps. And like as a, as a coach, I'm going to hopefully answer your question the right way here. As a coach, your objective is try and keep it simple yeah. and hopefully we're given a variety of different things for the defense to be concerned about by what we're doing peripherally with the you know we got motion behind us we're at different formations and and then really try and re- get re- repetitions of the same concepts over and over in the interior wise yeah so you want you want your guys to be able to fire off the ball and be truly confident in uh, in what they're doing and that's probably the biggest thing is right. make sure that Thinking they're kills, they're, right? That they're, hesitation, they're, they're, and so they're rolling. Yeah, right. And some guys get it right away, and they just see angles, or they see, and, and some guys, you're like you're you're wondering if they're ever going to, and then it clicks, and right. all of a sudden, then then you can just almost see their game change. So you do have to have a real good understanding of the basics of the game, just angles, and being able to see out of the corner of your eye and, and, and play ahead of the game and see those things. And like some, for a lot of guys, that's natural. For a lot of guys, they learn. And some guys just, it takes a lot of reps to get that. But you, obviously the, the given, you know, you got to have some measurables, your size and strength and speed. And, but just a, you, you need to have a knowledge of it, a base knowledge, a knack for the mm-hmm. game. And, mm-hmm. the, and if you have a more of a natural feel for the game, you're going to, you're going to accelerate way way faster and then you may be and that can even be even even a guy that may be a little limited athletically but they really see and understand the game really well can can move ahead so I, I think just having a, a a lineman's being able to see the game through lineman eyes is, yeah. is critical how about the challenges for you the last five years because I think that first offensive line when Coach Stitt was here, he had some converted guys, guys that, you know, Mike Ralston was a converted yeah. DN, tight end, Cooper Sprunk, converted yep. tight end, turned center. 
uh, this last year even, you know, Cy yeah. Sermon was another guy you kind of converted. Mm-hmm. And it seems as if you had units that have been good, gotten better, but haven't been the units like Montana experienced for so mm-hmm. many years. Mm-hmm. What's it been like for you? Because it seems like on one end it might be pretty fun as a coach to try to develop these well, guys and see them yeah. improve so much. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. You're, <laughs> yeah, you got, uh, you're taking a lot of uh, – Clay and trying to right on it, which is which yeah it can be fun but also it's nice to have a nice to have that you know, slay too yeah right? exactly so I, you know I think that's a big component of a, of being successful for us having a you know a, a stable of veteran players a bunch of veterans and 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 even when I when I first got back here with Coach Stitt we the numbers were pretty good it was it was the the, the second third year where we started to see the the decline in numbers of guys and we were pulling from other positions and, and a lot of a lot of true success stories there had guys like Cy that you mentioned Cy and 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 Mike Ralston though you know wish they would have been there right off the bat because they no would be being good players and you know that could have been uh, identified sooner so they're, they're not says and we will continue to do that that may that may be an occasional occurrence mm-hmm. but you don't want your own line to be uh, a uh a majority of guys you want to have some guys have grown up in your program and they've learned it they've seen it and, and like i said you try and keep things simple but still you, you know i kind of rotate i go you know like our inside zone or our wide zone or our gap schemes i start back over going inside and so you're constantly you don't really ever insert you're constantly just reteaching 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 and the more times that you've gone through that cycle of uh of learning the clearer it gets and you, you know we could got a bunch of guys out there have been doing it for a while that you get your chances of success are improved i believe when Bobby took over uh, that first year, really struggled on the offensive line, very young offensive mm-hmm. line, and really not the number of scholarships, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe Bobby's going to dedicate to it now or yep. dedicate at that time. Drastic improvement last season. Where are we at heading into 2020? What are your expectations? Because you had some guys, Cy Sermon, for instance, came and played really well, and now mm-hmm. he's graduated. Now mm-hmm. he's out the door. So where are you at on this offensive line, which has a lot of different ages of guys mm-hmm. that are there, but some veteran players as well? We're getting closer. We're yeah. definitely. I, I felt like we made uh, you know significant jump from the previous year, where we where we where we did lack a year ago, is in consistency. We had some ups and downs. I think a little bit of that's a reflection of having. So, uh, uh, still a few pieces and parts out there, yeah. you know, good players, but maybe not the the continuity that you would have if you had a group that's kind of, uh, or a majority of the guys have all kind of been together for a long period of time. I think we're closer. I think we're in better shape, much better shape. You know, we, we, we relied on a couple guys, Moses for one, and and, uh, and Cordell got in there a little bit, and you know, an Angel was coming off an injury. We weren't we weren't the most fit group. You know, like it was just, we just got Mo, like, I mean, he showed up literally the day we went out on the field in the fall. I mean, yeah. he was not ready to be a player yet. And I think he's, he's definitely addressed that over the winter. And and uh, we're a much more fit group than we were a year ago. Yeah. I can I can tell you that. Right. How, we, how it all plays out, we're in better shape. Now, lucky for us, uh, we did get some spring ball in. So we got a pretty good – I got a little bit of a – a window that I can kind of reflect on and where we're at, and enough too that I can tell where we still need some work. So that was good for us to get some spring ball in, and uh, wish we would have got more because I felt like we we're kind of like, all right, things are the wheels are starting to turn, but we got some. You mentioned that you have some guys that are returners, but maybe they haven't worked in the spots they're likely going to be at as a unit. How important is that element? Is this learning to play with the other four guys? Yeah, very important. I mean, we're relying on them to do it on their own. I mean, uh, they're going out there two or three nights a week and go and uh, there's you know the, the, it's it's non-padded but they're still working in 
a relationship with each other, you know, on the same uh, working in you know, space relationship and, and doing those things to try and develop and spend a lot of time together. And I think they've, I think it's been because we've relied on them to do so much on their own and without us. They, I think they've, uh, I feel like they've become tighter through this. I really do. Okay. Maybe I'm a dope. I know that I am, but I'm going to complain in the form of a question. Okay. Why is illegal man downfield a thing? I mean, what do we care if Moses Mallory's 50 yards upfield when we're throwing the football, especially with the RPO, right? This is a big point of contention now, though, because it's not that illegal anymore, (laughs) right? Well, well, you you could draw a line right down our uh, staff meeting, and uh, (laughs) and we'd be be welcoming you over to our side. Good, yeah, well, I I just don't understand. Like, I mean, I understand, okay, a legal receiver, certain guys you can throw to, certain guys you can't. I understand why that makes sense within the flow of the game. But, like, where a guy happens to be when the ball is released seems crazy. Easy to yeah. me, why we're especially well, now. I think if it's uh, if it affects the play, they're throwing the flag, and if it if it you know we we run it, we we have a lot of RPOs in our offense, like almost everybody in the yeah, everybody yeah, does. Yeah, right. And how many times we see it called? Not that often. Now I think that they're going to continue to try and clean that up, and and uh, now if you're using that somehow, you're trying to throw a guy downfield to draw the de- uh, defensive back's eyes to get the ball somewhere else, then then that's going to be something that gets addressed. But if it's not having a bearing on the play and the guys that are being covered are still being covered, even though a guy's gotten downfield a little ways. But uh, to be honest with you, I don't coach it. Man, the last thing you want to do is tell your little lineman that they got hit, that they'll look, you know, Create look out where they yeah, are. Watch, watch yeah, out! Yeah. Don't go yeah. too far. Don't go. Don't, don't go too hard. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, get, yeah. Gear down a little bit. So, uh, I think I. Honestly, it's been called two or three times. I know it came back on a touchdown against the Huskies once, but you see it. Guy over here, he's five feet over yeah. the line, hundred yeah. yards from the play. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's it's. Uh, I, I don't think it's getting called a lot. All right. No. Well, and some of the most, uh, I think, what people think is brilliant offensive play calling and offensive play design involves the split second when you do get away with it, right? I mean, that's where Sean McVay's made so much money is, you know, he's got the backside pulling guard that somehow ends up in front of Todd Gurley after Todd Gurley's already caught the ball, but the timing has to be perfect, and all of a sudden it is a, you know, I mean, honestly, Sac State has a ton of of interesting things in Mm -hmm. their offense, and if Mm -hmm. if you watch it with a discerning eye, it looks like a pick play a lot of times, but if you time it perfectly, you throw it on a dive, it's never gonna get called. You uh, obviously, prep for defenses on the offensive line, but how much of other offenses and offensive lines do you watch, especially around the league, to either see what they're doing and advise a, you know, a guy like Coach Sachs or something like that? I mean, how much do you guys share, like, hey, man, this is what they're trying to pull off here. This is what you should be aware of. But how, how much of that is happening, that a sort lot, of cross-pollination? Quite a, a ton, especially yeah. the offensive line. You know, We're kind of our own... Uh, Group and Bree, we kind of speak a different language, and yes. nobody else really wants to. You're at the Red Robin, all just uh, everybody get out. Yeah, we're gonna we're exactly. gonna feed this thing off here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, we do a lot of it. I do a lot of it. I mean, I'm a I'm I'm into it. So I watch a lot of film. I like watching NFL films because it's clean and it's very you can it's very good teaching film because not a lot of pieces and parts that are going the wrong way. Uh, it's super. You can watch reps. So I, I watch that. And I watch with my guys. I'll watch a cut up of uh, us doing something, and maybe somebody else that we've studied doing, it, and then maybe the NFL. So I'll back up three clips, and um, I, I really feel that that's helpful. Uh, now the whole uh, this whole uh, you know uh, situation 
for lack of a better term, it's changed my my knowledge of uh, like I, I didn't know what Zoom was two right. months ago, and now I'm <laughs> you know I started with a little bit with our players, and now I'm, I've zoomed other coaches, and it's very convenient. I can hey uh, we're, look at our outside zone for me, tell me what you're seeing. I got, I got buddies all over the place, and I'll throw on I can throw on my film and simple as a phone call and dial it up, and then they'll throw their clip right, on. And I mean right. that's something that's been available to me. For a long time, but I, obviously for a while that I didn't know it was there. So uh, I actually done more of it. We've, I think we've been pretty productive. Uh, we did, uh, like I said, I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit. But Coach Hawk did a great job in navigating us through these last couple months. I mean, we were we we never we were in the office every day. We stayed way ahead in recruiting, both high school and, and transfer, and and uh, and our guys are back in the weight room now. I think we've done everything we could through this uh, time, and, and we did a ton of self-eval. We, we probably did we, the film aspect of our off-season was, you know, we did a ton of self-eval. Mm. We did a ton of uh, uh, um, studying other teams. So I felt like we've had a very productive uh, last three months. Yeah. We talk about this with coaches around the Big Sky, head coaches a lot, and the league has such an offensive reputation, and – uh, I think that the diversity of offensive schemes in the league is what makes it so fascinating. I know Cal Poly's not going to run the triple option anymore, at least not likely no. under Bo Baldwin. But you could have a week where you go, you're trying to defend the triple option, you're trying to defend the spread from Eastern, you're trying to defend you know, pistol stuff from Portland State. But on the other side of the ball, in your mind, who are the hardest teams in the Big Sky to, to put offensive game plans against? Who runs like? On, is there anybody that's like akin to how unusual the triple option is defensively? Is anybody like that? Uh, well, Portland State. I guess Portland State's running the flex. Team, Port, right? Portland State runs a little flex, dude, but they're 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 uh, they'll line up in some different uh, configurations, but they usually have the, the same number of guys committed to the run game and the same number of guys committed to coverage. They they play a lot of single high right. defense. Even though they'll they'll mix it up a bunch and throw you a lot of looks, Sac State's probably the closest thing to uh, us. Where they'll, uh, they'll 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 be very they'll look like their guys are dropping and they're they're blitzing. They'll, they'll, say they'll, the, the weirdest defense in the Big Sky is the Bob, Grizzlies yeah. defense, oh, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. No, without a doubt, they're without a doubt they're uh, they're the even me seeing them every spring and every fall. <laughs> I'm still. I'm still spending a lot of time. I'm like, okay, what's this thing? Believe me, they're yeah. Believe me, they're they are the equivalency of the triple option. I think, and, or we are, which is I'm glad they're on our side. Chad Gerber in with us, offensive line coach at the University of Montana. Last thing for me, uh, you grew up in Three Forks. Yep. How far did you make it down to Missouri? I just want to start at Three Forks and just take it all the way down, man. I want to yeah. ride it right out to the Gulf. What is that? Is that a is that a thing? Can I do something like that? Well, you, you'll hit a couple dams, and you'll hit one yeah. right away. That's so why that, they're that's called the, dams, yeah, that's right? Because you're yeah. like, well, yeah. There's a yeah. You right. Uh, I think you hit. I think there's one even before you get to. There's might be two before you get through Helena. Yeah. So uh, I had to get out, yeah, get out a, walk it around. And most go to the of my other side. most of my time was pre-Missouri. I did. I spent a lot of time on the Madison, the, mm. and Jefferson, and we got in the great place. And you know, we were just back there this last weekend, and. Uh, you really get it when you leave, and you you know I didn't you know back when I was a kid, it's like yeah, let's let's you know, get out of here, right? Know, go do something else, but right. you know you go back and you're like wow, it was an amazing place and beautiful, beautiful, unbelievable. Place. Oh yeah, oh, as but good it was, as it uh, I mean the Madison Rivers, it was, I mean every inch of that is awesome. Yeah, awesome. Chad, we appreciate you coming in, man. This has been fun. We we look yeah. I think, well, I was again. thinking, we were, are, is it are we so low on sports right now that we got <laughs> no 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 offensive line coaches no, live no, on the no, radio? The I mean, that's coach a, is welcome in uh, anytime. You know what? And not that we're not you know we're not trying to rank anybody here, but 
you are assistant coach number two from the uh-huh. Grizzlies. The whole I mean, what is it again? Eight, ten, twelve okay. coaches right. on the staff. And, 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 and the only good. reason Justin yeah. Green's number one is because he, well, he probably himself yeah, on I'm the sure. show. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Shout out to Justin because I'm sure he's saying, Justin, you can invite yourself on the yeah, show. He needs no. uh, Chad, you got dogs? Uh, for you, we just lost a dog. I'm oh, sorry. No, yeah. that's a bummer. Man, that's, just, a, yeah. that's a terrible segue into my live read that I was going <laughs> to Sorry, but you know, Hugh, I'll, I'll live it. We, uh, we're, uh, as an adult, I've had... Uh, Two, two boxers. We're a boxer family. Oh, nice. All oh, yeah, yeah. All boxers, and they've been, uh, they've been family. Well, dogs are family, and dogs also don't have opposable thumbs, and so they cannot pick up after themselves. That becomes the human's job, yeah. and it's a job nobody wants to do. So I got great news for you. If you don't want to do it. Your dog can't do it. You go to Montana Pooper Scoopers. That's right, MontanaPooperScoopers.com. You go online. Whether you got a dozen boxers, whether you got one chihuahua, it does not matter. They will come over to your house. They will take care of the job nobody in the family wants to do. Stop all the arguing about who it's going to be. Let them do it, okay? $25 off your initial service just for mentioning this ad. It's that simple. Online, MontanaPooperScoopers.com. Anyone can afford it. Businesses, families, Missoula and Lola, that's where they service. MontanaPooperScoopers.com. Let them do the job no one else wants to do. Coulter, during this time where we got to be a little bit socially distanced, it's nice to know we can get out on the links and play a little bit of golf. And nobody better than Western Birch to get your round started right. That's right, golf's been definitely one of my favorite pastimes during quarantine times. And it's recently landed my new Western Birch customized golf tees. Go check out Western Birch golf tees at westernbirch.com. These classy golf tees are made of 100% white birch hardwood and printed with high quality color right here in the United States. A company founded right here in Montana. These durable wood golf tees, perfect way for you to market your business. Just think, anytime you break a tee, your brand is sitting on the tee box forever. You can hand them out to your clients, your buddies, your golf partners, whoever. Great way to earn top-of-mind awareness while also playing a sport we all love. Again, you can check out all the cool designs online at westernbirch.com. Add your logo on a 1,000 of any of their tees for $150 delivered to your door. Give them to clients, friends, watch them get impressed by the quality of the look of a simple golf tee and by your creativity. Give Western Birch the opportunity to show you what they're talking about. Email and ask for Chad at info at westernbirch.com, info at westernbirch.com, or follow on Instagram and Facebook, westernbirch.com. Yes, if people don't know, this is a very confusing thing. They're having a best high school helmet competition tournament bracket style vote right for the best high school helmet in the country and the Chinook sugar beaters are in the sweet 16 it's pretty good it is it's super sweet i mean Chinook sugar beaters has to be one of the great high school mascots period right just anywhere i mean it, it's it's glorious yes it's glorious it shout is, out shout out glorious. you know who our uh most uh, the best friend of the show we got that was a former Chinook sugar Beater. who's that dan davies Oh, associate athletic director for Montana State. Absolutely, the ultimate Bobcat. The guy has been a Bobcat for what since nineteen seventy. Well, he might be the ultimate sugar beater. That's too. true. Two Tell Nuanas, one two nine ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Howdy, great to be with you across the state. Thanks for being here with us at Gus Two Tell at one zero two nine ESPN and at Skyline Sports MT 
on uh, your Twitter machine if you want to find us on the social meds. It is time, boys and girls, for a little bit of Blindside. Coulter and I like to play a little bit of, uh, you know, have a little open conversation about topics that the uh, one comes up with for the other. This first one uh, here in this first hour is going to be me, Coulter, and I wanted to, how shall I say, play to the crowd, okay? I wanted to do this for you. Okay. Okay? So here's my question, uh, and I will... Rather than contextualizing it before the question, I'll ask it and then contextualize it, and then you can tell me. The question is simply this. Is this the time for boxing to make a comeback? The reason I'm asking is because I have watched top-ranked boxing on ESPN now three nights over the last couple of weeks. It's been on several times a week on ESPN right there in prime time. Uh, it It is... one of the few sports, or maybe I should say like this, I believe it to be the most compelling sport within the context of not knowing the characters. You can watch boxing regardless of who it is that's up there, and it still is intriguing, interesting. You learn the stories as you go, and you can see the stories in a lot of ways based on the way the fighters fight. And I watched Joshua Franco beat and upset Andrew Maloney for the formerly undefeated Andrew Maloney for the WBA junior bantamweight title. I think it was two nights ago. And I had never heard of either of these guys. Now the Mahoney's are these twin brothers who Mm -hmm. are great fighters out of the UK. So I learned about them. That's great. But Joshua Franco won a fan in Gus Tutel on on Tuesday night or whatever it was. I mean, I was riveted watching this kid just go to work and beat the guy he wasn't supposed to beat and thoroughly dominate the second half of the fight. It was spectacular. But also, it was just fun. Even without the pomp and circumstance, you know, everything about boxing – We've talked, not everything about, but much about boxing is the the event that it is. Everybody walking in, the crowd, the anticipation that this thing's going to happen, the bell rings. But even without all that, it is a tremendous sport. I enjoy it very much. And it is, along with golf, the only thing going for another month. So is this the moment where we could go, hey, boxing, back into the middle of the uh, into the middle of the sports world first of all you don't like UFC though right not really no. why we've had this conversation I know I don't understand though how do you love boxing and not like UFC it's so the much the same it is it's I mean it's not close to the same I mean it it's what it's is it combat. about UFC that turns you off uh it's it's gratuitous and it's too it, it is it is there for the bludgeoning in a lot of ways to me. I realize it's not the sweet science. It it isn't. I mean okay. the the boxing obviously there are knockouts, okay? And it sure. could be a one punch d- deal breaker yep. and that's that and that's it's severe. Yep. But also it is more about the the, the the sport of hitting and not being hit and the different ways to go about sure. it as opposed to just fighting. Yes. Yes, and I realize that I lose the nuance of all the different, from jiu-jitsu to Muay Thai to karate to boxing to kickboxing and all the wrestling, all the different things that are coming together in MMA. Like I'm aware that all that is there, that all these folks that are doing this, men and women, professionals, they're great at it. And there's a lot that I, I have been sucked in more than one time to UFC fights and watching that, and that's, you know... I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying it shouldn't be a thing or sure, it's just sure. egregious. I, I get but it. I just it's not it's my personal, deal. It's personal preference. I'm, I'm not here. To, I'm not here to argue. Love with boxing. You. Not a big MMA. Guy. Okay, that's fine. 
to answer your question, it could be a time when boxing could rise, but it won't be. And, and follow me here because yeah. you need to watch Be Water, the new, yeah, I the new Bruce Lee. Yeah, I do. Okay, but what they they started analyzing the way that combat sports impacted different minority groups in America post. Uh, in Be Water, they did yes, this, yeah, in this documentary. So you're talking about okay. the let's, let's say the first sixty years of the 20th century when. America's transitioning away from slavery by and large, but there's still a ton of just racial tension across the board. And it's not just African-American people that are being exploited. It's also Chinese-Americans, and Bruce Lee was such a hero to them. Yes. And that's part of the, what this documentary addresses is uh, the way that he used his charisma and his skill, his acting ability to change a lot of the stereotypes about Asian-Americans. Mm. But one of the points that they make in the documentary that I'd never really thought of was that Boxing was the first sport where African Americans really had a chance to to not only stand out but to absolutely dominate. Right, and it became in vogue. It became um, such a staple of inner city communities. The boxing gym, and so yeah, it's not just black guys that are going there, but you have but uh, so many African American young men did gravitate towards the boxing gym. It was the sport of the inner city. So therefore, then all of the best athletes are gravitating towards boxing. That's how you have the best athletes as boxers: Sugar Ray Robinson, Muhammad Ali. You know, I mean, the best athletes on on the planet were the the heavyweight champion of the world used to be the dude. Now I don't think. I mean, Deontay Wilder is a great athlete, but I don't think anybody would say Deontay Wilder or jo, uh, um, Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury or Anthony, uh, Joshua. Anthony Joshua. I don't. I mean, all great athletes. I don't think anybody would say those guys are better athletes than Khalil Mack or Von Miller or. You know, it's it's apples to oranges, certainly. All I'm saying, though, is that it's not as trendy of a thing. And so it used to be that so many people boxed as youths. Mm -hmm. Now you have to choose to box as a youth, and it's such an outpost of a sport. This is the first time in our history as a country, this last probably 15 years, where way more kids are wrestling when they're young than they are boxing. So now you turn 18 and you say, okay, I want to continue doing sports. What do I have the baseline in? Okay, I play a little football. I wrestled, okay, I can go train some Muay Thai and I can become an MMA fighter. To be, if you're just starting to box when you're 18, you're never going to make it as a professional mm-hmm. boxer. So because of that, I just think that we're not going to have the same influx of talent and star power for boxing to ever gain traction again. I think that people will just... Ironically, MMA is a more brutal sport than boxing, but it's not a more difficult sport. That's probably why you like it. That's why you like boxing better because of the skill element of well, it, right? It, it is. I mean, you can... And so, in other words, you have to have a baseline of that from when you're young, though. And so, I just worry about the future of boxing because our best athletes aren't choosing it anymore. So many of them are gravitating towards basketball and football. Mm-hmm. But also, it's just not a part of youth culture nearly as much as it used to be. So, I, I don't disagree, actually, with anything that you said. But I would just say this. As a, as a consumer of sports, as mm-hmm. a guy who likes sports... Mm-hmm. I am continually aware of the imbalance between the amount that I watch boxing and the amount that I follow boxing. Sure. I love boxing. I really enjoy sitting down and watching boxing. And but, I but you couldn't tell me who any of the champs tell you. Are. I mean, yeah. some of the heavyweights, right? You but, know the, the main heavyweights, right? Right, right. I, I didn't know the Maloney brothers were existed on the earth, and I find out that they're twin bantamweight champions, now former champion. Okay, fine. But, but... All I'm saying is this. You can talk to me all day about the athletes and what it would be like if Khalil Mack and Vaughn Miller were the heavyweights of the world and what that would right. be like, and I agree with you. Uh, 
and yet I'm watching 215-pound guys just look like a blur on the screen in, in, in the quickness and the speed and all the things that they're doing and found myself thoroughly entertained, and I didn't need it to be, you know, the – the biggest and the best and the whatever it was the sport and certainly the high i mean this is a this was a belt championship main event these are two excellent fighters okay uh, franco in his own right it was a one loss fighter coming into it like 17 one and one or something so these these are it is a different sport when you talk about amateur or just you know middle of the road guy it's a completely different deal but to watch the best do what they do it's spectacular and i think that more and more people could, first of all, have an opportunity to learn about it. It's got the exposure now, the platform on ESPN regularly to be there. And, you know, is all of a sudden people, you know, when baseball starts, when the NBA starts, when NHL jump back into that stuff and don't have this ear over here? Maybe, but I think some inroads could be made. So much of the popularity of sports, though, is the people that are watching it because they either used to or still do participate in that sport. Right, like you know how amazing NBA guys are because you, even if you just play pickup basketball at the YMCA or whatever, there's sure. like the golf. We love playing watching yeah. golf because yeah. like wow, this guy's so amazing. I think boxing also used to be so popular because everybody at one point had boxed. Everybody's old man took him to the boxing gym. It used to, it just used to be so much more of an ingrained part of our culture when in terms of kids doing it. Mm-hmm. Like every gym on the corner, every boys and girls club had a boxing bag. Right. That's not the case anymore. You couldn't find a pair of boxing gloves at any gym in the entire city of Missoula right now. <laughs> Right. Right. All right. Very good. It's Tutel Nuanas, 129 ESPN Radio. That is our uh, first blindside. Coulter will bring us another blindside, and we'll do so in the next hour. But immediately, right after this, I want to talk a little bit more in detail about what's going on at Eastern Washington. Lynn Hickey, the athletic director, putting out the call for donations uh, in, in, in pretty tough financial straits right now is the Eastern Washington Athletic Department, and they are not alone. So we will get into all of that right after this. Hey, Kurtz Polaris is at 2904 West Broadway in Missoula, Highway 83 in Sealy. And the weather, spectacular, sunny, warm. It's summer, officially and actually. So get to Kurtz Polaris. Side-by-sides to the max. You get yourself a general, a ranger, a razor. The hardest-working and most fun side-by-sides on the market are at Kurtz Polaris. Also, though, top-of-the-line dirt bikes. You into getting off-road on two wheels. Beta and Husqvarna dirt bikes going to take care of you that way. And also, you can get on the lake. How about Crest Pontoon Boats? Crest Pontoon Boats, yes, you know it. Top-of-the-line. That's all they do at Kurtz Polaris. Top-of-the-line everything. Pontoon Boats available at Kurtz for the season. Go online, KurtzPolaris.com. Summer the way it should be. Summer the way you always envision Kurtz Polaris. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, we evaluate your current state infrastructure and deploy the right technology solution for your future. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash business to learn more.
no tennis at Northern Colorado and Southern Utah and East of Washington up against it, and we're starting to see some of the financial fallout from all that's gone on in the Big Sky Conference Athletic Department. It's two telling the us. 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Howdy. Thanks for letting us be with you. We're happy to be there. Colters, we wrap up the first hour here. You want to talk about, first of all, uh, Lynn Hickey, the uh, AD at Eastern Washington, tweeting out uh, a series of tweets uh, several days ago, coming out of some meetings, some some institutional-wide meetings, and basically, I mean, sounding the alarm that Eastern Washington uh, Athletics is in in a very tough financial position right now. This is from last night, or two nights ago, excuse me. Uh, Lynn Hickey tweeted, Eags, just listened to two hours of calls blaming athletics for EWU's financial problems when we only represent 2% of the total university budget, but we are going to have to take close to a 30% cut, triple question mark. Then I see all the academic success we had this quarter. By the way, Eastern Washington, credit to their student-athletes. I think they had a 3.7 GPA for the spring quarter as a athletic department, wow. which is, you know, you could, you could scoff and say it's Eastern, you could scoff and say it's quarter system, but either way, it's still, I mean, the, the numbers are the numbers. That's Dan Good for uh, a full uh, athletic department. She yeah. said, please speak up about our value at Eastern Washington. Then she said, we have an urgent call to action. We are losing positions, cutting operations. Every remaining staff person is taking a salary reduction. Eags, we need you to give to the EAF. I think that's the Eagle Alumni Foundation. Help us with scholarships. Help us take care of our kids. Our staff is Eagle Strong. Please join us. And then she did another call to action, basically saying to former Eastern Washington athletes, please talk about on Twitter how your experience improved your life. And I mean, so they got responses from guys like Michael Roos, who was an all pro for the Tennessee Titans offensive lineman and um, Cooper cup, who was a rising star for the Los Angeles Rams. And then a variety of other guys that aren't in the NFL. I think that's the most important people to hear from is, Hey, you know, I, you know, like Sam McPherson, for example, he's a running back on the team that went to the national championship a couple years ago. He said, Hey, you know, I, I graduated from Eastern Washington and, and I had my foot in the door for every job that I applied for because, you know, people knew my name because I scored a, t- a touchdown in the national yeah. championship game. And you could say it's favoritism for athletes or whatever, but it is a real thing. Having name recognition, you know, it does, it gets you a lot of places in life period, especially if you're a former student athlete. And so, so I think that this Eastern Washington thing, and that's why I keep going back to talk about it because I think it's, it's, I seriously think it's so fascinating when it comes to small school college sports that don't have impassioned fan bases. Eastern has good fans. They don't have the, the fan bases of schools like Montana, Montana state, North Dakota, North Dakota state or South Dakota state. They don't have that rural field. They're not the biggest show in town. So the the balancing act of how much do you spend on being successful compared to how successful have you been for not much financial benefit, it's so interesting to me because, to me, I think the Cats and the Grizz have reached the point where I don't even think it, it matters what they do from this point forward. As long as it's not a horrific string of, of losing... I mean, Montana State's had multiple losing seasons in the last couple of years. They still sell out Bobcat Stadium. Montana had a, a dip under, you know, the end of Coach Delaney and the and the duration of Bob Stitts. It's nowhere nowhere in comparison to what the previous twenty years have been. They're not. They haven't completely sold out the stadium, but they're still second in the country in attendance in the FCS. And so I think yeah. that they have the entrenched tradition so much. But it's just so interesting for me to analyze because I think that Eastern, unfortunately, is a stark example of how good you can be and how it doesn't matter when it comes to the money. Well, it doesn't. But here's the other thing, too, is 
Montana and Montana State are great standards to look at. They're also huge outliers at the, the level no that question. they're at. But that, that's, and, I, that's why I think it is inter- more interesting to analyze Eastern Washington because they're not an outlier. That, and that's what I'm saying is that why isn't why isn't there a problem like, okay, Southern Utah, for instance, they just cut their tennis and, and, uh, you know, and women's, men's and women's yeah. programs. Okay, that's certainly you know a negative thing. It's a cost-cutting situation, and that's what they that's what they chose to do. And a lot of places, and Eastern is part of this, are in financial straits right now for all of the reasons that are not in their control. They didn't necessarily mismanage a whole bunch of stuff. No, they didn't, didn't, you know, whatever, whatever. But here's the here's the thing, and this is what I keep com- coming back to, and that 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 frankly just bothers me. Athletics at a university. We are told from the very top, Mark Emmert on down, are an extracurricular activity that are there to uh, round out the student experience, right? The, uh, the academic is what you're here to do, to learn and to grow. And part of the growth as a holistic person is participating in these, these you know, extracurricular activities, be they athletic, be they other. And... That's fine. There's I buy I buy that all day long. That does happen. That is true. It also is the case then though that if you have an if you have a, a, a financial crisis that comes in and you have a problem, the athletics should be treated no differently within the scope of that from all the other things. And I'm not saying anywhere that they are i don't think so i would imagine that there's cuts at southern utah that are happening institution-wide that it's not just men's and women's tennis that got the axe but i also think that there are places where you know oh well the sports aren't carrying their weight well you know what the sports aren't supposed to make money that's not what they're there to do they are expensive, and if you're going to have them because this is so important to the you know, to the to the student experience, then so be it. And I buy right. some of that. But the fact that Ohio State football makes enough money to pay for the whole school to exist is, first of all, r- crazy, and right. second of all, new, and third of all, still not even accepted as an explanation by the powers that be in administrative roles, particularly in the NCAA. So I don't want to hear about, oh, well, well, the money isn't there. Then if the money's not there for them, the money's not there for anyone. And maybe it's not, but, you know, don't, 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 don't talk to me about that. Yeah. Eastern Washington is just in a, they are in a unique situation, man. They are because it's unique because it's 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 better from a money perspective to be way worse at sports than Eastern Washington is. Name the eight most powerful programs in the FCS: football. Yep. Well, Montana, Montana State, NDSU, James Madison, South Dakota State, Jacksonville maybe, State. Yeah, Eastern maybe, Washington, Northern Iowa, maybe Northern Iowa, Eastern, and, Eastern, and Eastern Washington, Eastern, right? Probably, yeah. What does Recently. every single one of those schools have in common besides Eastern Washington? I don't know. They draw sixteen to twenty five thousand fans per game. Hmm. They make money, but they they don't though. That's the point. They don't make money. They do they do have higher revenue, and that is worth noting. Okay, but by the way, just because they're good, like okay, how about all the crappy teams in the FCS that draw way less than Eastern Washington? They still got teams. The expense is roughly similar. No. 
Yes. No, 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 because they're not marketing themselves on the same level. They don't have the exact they don't have the same recruiting. They don't have to they don't have to have the expectation of being in the top 10 every year. So they don't have to spend any money on recruiting. They don't have to have individual camps. They don't have to have any of that kind of stuff. I mean, what you, you there are teams in no. the Big Sky and in the FCS that are intentionally bad. They don't want to be good cuz they don't want to spend the money on it. Coulter, there is there is money that it costs to be good, and I'm not saying that everybody's spending the same amount of money to do the things that they're doing. Obviously, things like the Champion Center, okay, or the addition to Bobcat Stadium, or huge dollar figures, or whatever. But if you're talking to me about like the annual cost of just running the program, no, I don't. I the 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 cost of having a football team and you're, playing a football season. You're, you're missing you're missing my point though. Are, are you're missing my point though. It's very clear based on the subsidization that Eastern Washington receives from its institution, and this is why they're in the situation that they're in right now, right. that people do not give money to Eastern Washington That's to fund right. athletic scholarships. So yeah. it doesn't matter how many fans you put in the stands. It matters how many fans that live in the world that will give you money to fund athletics. Totally. And every other school you just named has oh. tens of thousands of people that are willing to give them money. Eastern doesn't. That's what's crazy because you're, you're at the point where – you're the last Big Sky team to win a national championship. How can you get better than that? You can't. You can't get better than Cooper Cup and Kendrick Bourne. Yeah. You can't. No, right. So if no one's going to give you money then, if the guys that are in the NFL making millions of dollars aren't even going to give you money, what's the point of having an athletic department? I don't know. It's an uphill battle. I feel bad for them, but also it's just it's it's a it's a distinct example of non-sustainability. Okay. There's a lot more there. We will continue to unpack it as we go, but we got to get out because Asher Croy Subject of our senior spotlight, graduate of Bozeman High School, going to play football at the University of Montana. Had a pretty good day in his last game as a uh, Bozeman Hawk. We'll talk about all of it next. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 